the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Insightful. Informative. Irreverent. We're ready. 1220 KDOW presents Rob Black in Your Money. Your source for breaking news, market updates, and successful investment strategies for the 21st century. Sounds like a great program. Getting you to retirement in today's market. So let's get on with the show. Taxes, family finance, insurance, the economy, technology, media, and entertainment. Rob is talking about it with you at 800-516-1220. So call in. We'll chat and uh, have some fun. Now to start your day with the latest news and market commentary. Here's Rob Black on the Bay Area's business leader, 1220 KDOW. Stock Talk with Rob Black. Black. Well, come in. I'm Rob Black, talking money, investing, and more. Thanks for listening to the show. I do appreciate it. I know that there's options out there. You can help me by telling friends and family, though, about the show. By letting them know that you can sign up at Apple under iTunes at Rob Black and Your Money. It's Rob Black and Your Money. Um, anything that you want to talk about, we can talk about. Talk about getting into retirement. We can talk about um, other issues that are out there. We're saving to retire in our 40s. Uh, that's always been kind of a goal of mine. Maybe that's realistic. Maybe it's not, but it's a good goal. Um, and I think that's kind of important to have something along those, you know, uh, lines, so to speak. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. The irony of having a strong financial life is that you don't really want it at times. You want what a strong financial life represents. So if your only goal is to become rich, you'll never achieve it. So says John Rockefeller. So the ability to fail and try again someday. That's kind of what wealth gives you more time to be spent in personal, meaningful ways. That's kind of what wealth should give you stronger choices for loved ones like schools, neighborhoods and vacations. That's what wealth should give you. The chance to continue to develop yourself through travel and education and painting and reading. That's what wealth should give you. Wealth is a weird, weird thing. Like happiness and success. It can't be pursued directly. A lot of people try, but they're never, ever satisfied. Once they make the money that they they uh, used to think would make them happy, they try to find something else. They find that something's missing. Um, oftentimes it's just more money. And for me, I kind of fall into the world of, you know, 
I'm not going to say the millennial experience is everything because that's not quite right. But for me, it's it's very much so. Uh, I I don't need a fancy car. I don't need a fancy wife. I don't need fancy dinners. They're lovely, all of those things. But I've got a good, reliable truck because I do things that make me happy in the truck. Um, haul around soccer equipment, haul around yard stuff. Um, and that makes me happy. So things that you want aren't crafted out of thin air. They're observations of, of, you know, how things work in my opinion. So money is worthless by itself. I think that's a fair statement. It's only valuable if it can get you something else that you want. It's never an end goal. It's meant to touch many, many, many hands. So I have a friend who she came out of a car accident. Um, having lost a loved one. But she also came out with a lot of shares of Apple. And she has the ability to do whatever she wants financially. But she's been very, very conservative because her heart was healing. And at some point in time, she has money to travel. She has money to do what she wants. So you don't want to hoard it, but you want to have the right mind frame when it comes time for it. You want to use your money to connect with others more strongly than you could without money's like love. It kills slowly and painfully. The ones who, you know, who withhold it, it enlivens those who turn it on to their fellow man. So smart money is slow. I agree with that. The best money managers in the world think slow before an action because the better money decisions require you to take pauses. You know, I believe otherwise, if you've watched movies like wall street, greed is good. What you're seeing is speculation. So uh, Warren Buffett once said, our favorite holding period is forever. And I think if you were to use another Warren Buffett thought where you have only 20 investment decisions in your life, use them wisely, um, you would slow down before you bought something. So I was asked the question recently of who would you give $20 billion to general motors or Elon Musk? And you have to stop and think that one through because general motors aims for a 20% return on capital. That's a pretty good return. It's way better than you're going to get in a bank, but Elon Musk has got a lot of great ideas. No one has ever given Elon Musk money and made money. He hasn't made money at his companies yet. Um, but General Motors pays out a dividend of about $2 billion a year to shareholders. So you always have to stop and ask yourself, what's this question even mean? I like slow money. So I own shares at Disney because it's a dominant franchise. Um, that chick Cinderella, she has not worked in a very long time. Um, and Disney owns her. And they're like, hey, let's let's go release the, the the dungeon and bring Cinderella back out. Remember what Cinderella? Remember what Disney used to do? And this was just evil. Uh, back when we had VHS tapes, you'd hear commercials like, "Now for a limited time, for twenty weeks only, we're opening our vault and we're bringing out a digitally remastered Cinderella on VHS and DVD and Blu-ray and Laserdisc, and uh, you could have Cinderella." Like that chick, she, 
she hasn't worked in 50 years, 60 years. So, and now there's a Tinderella out there. Um, there's actually a Cinderella ballet, and somehow I bet Disney's making this money off that. So making money <clears throat> is boring, in my opinion. Um, we see the drama in it, but it should be more boring. You should have a good portfolio that does well in a down market and does good in an up market. I don't want you to hit a home run, but I'd also don't want you to strike out. A good portfolio has different components to it, like a good baseball team. You need a strong first baseman. You need a strong second baseman. You need a short, quick, wily little guy who could play shortstop. Possibly you can give up a little bit of fielding for a better hitting third baseman. You need strong pitching. You need a catcher who's general. And that's that's why you need companies like Disney. You know, they play a certain role. They're not going to get you in a lot of trouble. And maybe you want a company like a Chevron or an Exxon who is tied towards energy. And, and you know, it's for the foreseeable future, we're going to consume a lot of energy, although less so in cars than before. So you save money bit by bit. You invest it. You receive dividends or income. You reinvest the proceeds. You compound your earnings year after year. It's not a lot of drama. Sometimes for me, I've learned that money means saying no. I've got a lot of friends who want to go to the Warriors game, the Giants game, the Sharks game, and saying no to almost every opportunity to part with your money is a key to financial success. Most of us waste our money. Um, Learn to say no to the good so you can say yes to the best. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Take a break. Be right back. This is Rob Black and your money. Find me at Rob Black Show, YouTube Rob Black Show. I'm Rob Black. You're listening to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW on the iHeartRadio app. sense of your portfolio. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW. Stock Talk with Rob Black. Black. If you're like most people, you know you got to save something for retirement, but you probably don't know how much or exactly how much. As many as 81% of all Americans don't know what amount of money they'll need to retire which can explain why only around 18% of us are confident that we'll have enough. That's not good. One in five, roughly. First and foremost, here's some ideas on what you'll need to determine. I thought I'd give you a little bit of a pep talk here. 
you're going to need to estimate what you'll need to spend each year during retirement. So let's say you estimate $50,000 and you say, I'm going to retire at 65 and I plan to live to 85 and you need $50,000 over 20 years, right? Not quite. That would come to a million dollars, but you have to expect healthcare costs and rents and car costs and other things might go up. Some might go down, but there will be some inflation. And you also have to expect things along the lines of, you know, underperformance, um, surprises like, you know, roofs leaking. So your retirement income must provide enough for you to live on, which means you need to know how much you're going to live on. One rule of thumb they say out there is assume you'll spend 70% of the income you earn while working. So if you're making $80,000 a year right now, then you need $56,000. Um, this rule of thumb typically only works if the mortgage is paid off. Ooh, do you pay the mortgage off or not? Or if you don't have high medical bills, and it tends to work if you're not gender on the globe on the senior world tour of, let's see as much of the world as I'm about to die kind of expectation. So you want to look at your current expenses and create what I would refer to as a sample budget. Um, if your mortgage is going to be paid off, you'll take one costly trip each month, maybe, um, and replace that mortgage with that. So and your cost would stay about the same. So some times to consider paying off a mortgage or accelerated mortgage. I don't do it. Now I'm starting to head quicker and quicker and quicker towards retirement. I'm not there yet. But I would do it if I wanted to live in a less financial stress in retirement. I would do it if I wanted to free up cash, um, you know, for college tuition. A lot, one reason so many households struggle to pay for college is that their existing bills don't magically go away. So if you manage to pay off your mortgage by the time your kids go off to college, then you'll have that extra mortgage cost that you used to have, and you can just put it towards the college cost. So, and uh, if you want to slash your interest costs, so... Those are the reasons to pay off a mortgage early in my mind. So I would use your mortgage payment now. I wouldn't take it out of your budget. I would include, I would just switch it to, you know, the travel other category in retirement to help you get to retirement and feel comfortable with the amount of money you need. Again, if you want 50,000 a year for 20 years, you're looking at a million dollars. I think you're starting off reasonable. Um, your social security, yeah, you may get 15, 20,000, but most of that's going to go to healthcare after taxes. Don't forget anything. Even if you have a million dollars in California saved, you're still going to get hit with some income taxes, not much in retirement, but you're going to get hit with sales taxes. Even though you're getting a senior discount on a movie, they still tax it almost 10% in every major California city. I think the next thing you want to do, and after you've kind of created a budget that's realistic, I think the next thing you want to do is figure out you know, what you're going to be getting from your social security and you can go to ssa.gov. Um, there's only 13% of the private sector workforce that has some sort of defined benefit plan pension at this point in time. Uh, social security is a key source of income for most retirees. Uh, but it's a benefit that's typically, you know, the average monthly benefits about $1,300. So you need to decide, do you want to take social security early? Look at the benefit, take it, uh, when you're allowed to, uh, when you're normally allowed to take it, or take it at age 70 when you get the most bang for your buck. If I'm healthy at 60, I'm going to delay taking it. If I've had a stroke, if I cough a lot, 
if I can't barely walk, I might take it early. Uh, but if I think I'm going to live longer, I'm going to take it as late as possible. It's a gamble, sure. But, you know, I don't want to be 92 years old and say, uh, I wish I would have taken it a little later. So and I think you ultimately need to figure out what the gap is going to be from your budget and Social Security. You know, uh, Social Security income will add up to determine, you know, how much of a big gap there is between what you need, between the money you'll have and the funding needed to support the lifestyle. So if you expect, you know, to need $56,000 annually and you earn the average Social Security benefit, you'll see that you're down to 39680 per year. And now you can start doing that by times 12. And you'll start creating a little bit of a budget. So start with what you think you're going to need. Figure out what your, and you can go to ssa.gov, figure out what your Social Security is going to be, and then subtract it. I think you need to determine what you're going to need to save per month, per year. Um, and you don't want to build in assumptions of 20% market returns. You want to build in assumptions of 6 to 8%, maybe a little bit more. You want your investments to produce enough income to cover the gap without having to take any money away from your principal. There's a lot of different factors that affect the amount of income your investments produce, including your expected return. Once you're drawing from your retirement savings, you want to invest in something safe, which means you can expect lower returns. Determine what you're going to need to save. You divide your shortfall by the returns you'll believe that you're going to earn. I like being conservative. So if you estimate 4% annually and your shortfall is 40000 then divide 40000 by 0.04, and that magic number is going to be dun da 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 one million dollars. Now, here's also some things that you don't think about. You know, you're like one million dollars will be nine hundred thousand, roughly. You're going to pay federal income tax, so suddenly that's down to seven hundred fifty, seven hundred eighty thousand. So a million dollars is a million dollars. And then there could also be a higher tax rate. Uh, there's also going to be a rise in healthcare costs. The longer you live, the probably more complicated it'll get. Um, so you need to estimate on the low side of everything and then be pleasantly surprised. So when I say you need 10 to 20 times your income to retire, um, I really want you to do 20. So, but again, you've got to start with a budget. Then you factor in social security and you subtract that from your budget. Then you factor in how much, you know, is there a shortfall between budget and social security? Um, and that's your number that you're starting to target on an annum basis, at least for 20 years. So I hope you get there, and I hope you don't stress about it. I expect that, like I said when I started this segment, that most Americans, only 18% are confident that we're going to have enough. Um, I probably could be very comfortable spending $150,000 a year in retirement. So I'm going to start there. I'm going to aim high because I don't. I, I know I don't want to save fifty thousand. That's I'll be bored.
always welcome. Visit Rob Black online at robblack.com. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW. With Rob Black. Black. So, I work at a news station Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, because I do a news hit Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. It's replayed at the evening a couple times. Um, it's, it's lovely. I feel real good about it. It's good work. TV's a little bit faster than radio, so you don't get a lot of time to get into the data. You almost have to go, oh gosh, it's super expensive to have a wedding. It's $300,000 million. Now, back to you, Chuck. Um, whereas with radio, you get to sit there and talk about it. But I do the show live from, obviously, TV four days a week. Then I do it live from Fremont, California, one day a week, which is where the uh, Tesla factory is. Um, why am I telling you that? Because there's a, a, I just saw a traffic update uh, on my TV station. There's a couch in the road on 880 right next to the exit that I used to get off. And I don't know what it is about the East Bay. The Bay Area's got the peninsula. It's got the North Bay. It's got San Francisco. It's got the South Bay. Um, it's got the East Bay and the East Bay, man, if they should, we just build graphics and TV like couches and uh, motorcycles because it's always a motorcycle that's down or a couch in the roadway. Anyway, save money on your wedding day. If the average wedding costs $35,329, try to get it done in your world for $20,000. Um, Go big on the honeymoon, go small on other areas, be realistic. I don't believe people should invite more than 20 people to a wedding, maybe 30, but you don't understand, I have a large family that's been waiting for this, like, okay. What you could do is have a nice party the next day, or uh, a week before, or a week after, maybe when you get back from your honeymoon. So starting your marriage off in debt by having too many people there, it's just a bad idea. Um... I have credit cards and I use them and I love them. And uh, the points really start to add up if you have the right cards. So I think it can be smart to use a credit card for wedding related purchases as long as you're not taking on more debt than you can afford. Um, getting that 2% or 3% back is pretty awesome. Uh, consider a winter wedding. Winter weddings or win- wedding dates. Winter wedding winter dates. Uh, wedding dates aren't all created equal. And if you go for areas that don't have as much demand, you'll get more do re me. And you may even get lucky. You get a nice warm day, per se. Um, book a Sunday. Saturday is the most popular day for weddings. Uh, it's generally the most expensive day to get married. You can likely reserve your venue at a much lower price if you wait till Sunday or a weeknight. I know you're saying, but Rob, it's my wedding. Um, put a twist on the plus one etiquette. Instead of giving all guests that plus one, limit them to couples you socialize with regularly. Uh, to avoid awkward questions, explain you know how you're determining the list. So there's a thousand and one million ways to save money. Um, if you're looking for a dress, you know I, I'm not going to say I, I live real close to Palo Alto, and uh, it's fair to say that the the thrift store or the I'm not going to say pawn shop, because that's not quite what I'm trying to say. Uh, the Goodwill has some pretty good stuff. And uh, I have no shame in that. So if I'm close to uh, Palo Alto or San Carlos and their Goodwill, 
you go and you could find like a winter jacket, 10 bucks that would normally cost you, you know, 140, 150, uh, barely used. So the national average spent on a wedding dress is $1,564. So you could pick up a white dress in a prom section of any department store and start you know, tinkering with some substitutions. Consider negotiating. I think that's always a good idea. Lots of unexpected expenses prop up during planning, including cake cutting and corkage fees. Um, you know, power cords for your DJ and the photo booth. If your venue has them, try to use the resources like linens and tables instead of having someone cart those in for you. So those are just some, you know, basic ideas. You can find me online at uh, robblackshow.com. It's robblackshow.com. Let's bring in CFP Chad Burton. He's a certified financial planner. Let's welcome in certified financial planner Chad Burton. You can find him online at newfocusfinancial.com. That's newfocusfinancial.com. And he is a certified financial planner, which is different than a stockbroker, which is different than um, you know, an investment advisor. It's different than a certified retirement specialist, which is a made-up title. The only title I care about is a CFP. Let's talk withdrawal. Mm-hmm. Let's talk pulling money out, withdrawal methods. Um, if you don't want to make a baby, no, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about pulling money out of <laughs> retirement. Um, you're, you got this nest egg. What's the concept that we need to know on how to pull money out so that the rate, we don't burn too much too fast? Well, the first idea is getting an, knowing whether or not you're, you're withdrawing too much. Right. If you're 50 years old and you're having to draw 4% of your portfolio to live and you think you can stay retired, you can't. You have potentially 50 years worth of inflation. So if you're drawing $50,000 a year now, in 18 to 20 years, you're going to have to live, draw $100,000 a year to live. And with muted returns in the, in the bond side, with very low income on bonds, you're going to run into problems. So, you know, 65, if you can draw 4% of your portfolio to live, you're going to be okay. More than that, you're going to run into some problems, which means that means that you're not going to be able to keep up with inflation. How realistic is it that I never touch my principal and I just live off my dividends? If you can retire at 65 and, and comfortably have, you know, 2% of your portfolio to live, and then that starts the draw rate. So eventually you're going to have, you know, be pulling you know, all of your income. Yeah. So if you're only pulling two or 3%, that means the majority of your returns can be reinvested for future inflation. Um, and in the past you could just, if you were that type of a wealthy person, you could just turn around and put all your money in treasuries. Now that's not the case. Treasuries are at a historical low in terms of yield. And so there's almost more risk there than having a mix of stocks and bonds. How often do you recommend people search for higher yield, knowing that they're going to compromise on credit quality and or compromise on uh, equity smoothness or, uh, what am I trying to say, principal uh, risk? Well, what you look at is credit spreads. Okay. So the times where you're going to look at compromising or taking a little bit more risk and going for that higher yield, and an example of this is you look in March of 2009 where... All bonds were thrown out with the stock market. I mean, the bond market got crushed for a short period of time. And the spreads between AAA-rated debt and government debt versus high-yield debt was at an all-time high. And within a year or two, you had you know 15 to 30% rates of return on high-yield bond funds. 
Um, so when the credit spreads between high-quality bonds and high-yield bonds is at a historical high or higher than the 10-year average, that's when you move money into those categories. The problem is right now that I think a lot of people are moving into way too much into preferred stocks with financial companies. Um, they're moving into uh, high-dividend-paying stocks that are directly tied to interest rates. And they're searching for that yield to replace bonds and replacing it with very volatile assets. How about protection from inflation? Mm-hmm. You can truly never protect yourself from inflation, even with Treasury inflation protected securities, because different types of inflations occur. You know, tips only protect you against consumer inflation, sort of. Yeah, it's kind of the CPIU. CPI. Yeah. Whereas senior citizens, their inflation is more tied towards healthcare costs, which is higher than the CPI typically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, five to six percent. So can you truly protect yourself against inflation with your principal, or is that just a fantasy? In theory, okay. you can. By um, In terms of, if you look at an overall bond portfolio, you typically want some corporate bonds, a mix of you know high quality and a, a mix of a little bit of high yield in there when you're retired. On the government bond side, you want basic government bonds, and those come in the forms of treasuries or TIPS, Treasury Inflation Protected Bonds, where the face value of the bond gets adjusted upward if there is inflation. Um and uh, Ginny Mays, for example. But then of your bond portfolio, you want a good percentage of that, too, in foreign bonds. And this is something we talk about, because if you're earning interest rate, if you're earning interest in other currencies' bonds, or other countries' bonds and their currency, and your dollar's falling, once you move that currency back into U.S. currency, you get that extra boost from the, the exchange rates. So by being with a good foreign bond manager, and they're focusing on countries that have an increasing currency versus the U.S. dollar... That's a, that's a hedge against inflation as well. And then investing also in things like you know energy stocks that pay a nice dividend. That's another way to do it. So in theory, you can. But we're, we're, we're coming into a time, Rob, where 10 years ago, nobody was investing in commodities. Right. And the correlation was almost negative to the stock market. So you know if stocks were down, typically commodities would be up, kind of like with bonds. Now, everything... Real estate used to be that way as well. Now, both real estate and commodities have gone closer to a correlation with the stock market. So really, to really hedge against the bad times, you still need that three years worth of expenses and cash in retirement. Any final thoughts on taking capital gains as an investment strategy as far mm-hmm. as pulling down your uh, principal? Yeah, because what you have to do when you, uh, you know, five years prior to retirement, you need to look forward and say, how much am I going to have to draw from my portfolio every year? So here's my expenses. Maybe it's 100000 a year and you're getting fifty from Social Security and your pensions. You're going to have to draw fifty from your portfolio. That means you're going to have 150000 in cash. And that's where you're going to spend your money from. You're going to send your dividends and interest from your, your portfolio to your checking account, and you're going to spend some of your cash. And every quarter, you look at your portfolio. If you have an up quarter, you peel off enough of those gains uh, to replenish the cash. Does that mean you pay taxes? Yes. But would you rather pay taxes on gains or watch your gains disappear? We're talking withdrawal from your lump sum, from your pension, from your retirement plan, from your nest egg. I'm speaking with certified financial planner Chad Burton for more information about how to draw down your account. Find him online at newfocusfinancial.com. That's newfocusfinancial.com.
at Rob Black online at robblack.com. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW. The lawyer and the pharmacist when walking through paradise. And all the sick were. I'm Rob Black talking money, investing, and more. Thanks for listening to the show. So I just brought up a company, Home Depot, and I hope that you got the idea that I'm not pushing it on you, and I think you should always consult a broker advisor for taking action on any stocks mentioned, but it makes sense, right? You know people who have yards, you know people who have walls, you know people who have, like, you get all this. I know you do. Early retirement is a concept that scares me a little bit. I've seen a lot of people do it or try to do it. You get three, four, five million dollars. And you're like, I can live off that till the day I die. And it's a great concept. You have a high powered career. You kind of want to throttle it down. You realized enough is enough. So you're retired age 50, 51, 52, and you think, you know, this is going to be great. Monday has become the best day of the week. Monday used to be the arch enemy for everyone in their careers because you work Monday through Friday. And thus Monday is said first day of the week. So whether you're an executive or a lawyer, a financial planner, you know that Monday is that doom kind of day. But in retirement... It signals five days of peace and quiet. It signals that you don't have to go to work anymore. It signals like, whoo, the gym is less busy on a Monday. Stores are less busy. Restaurants are less busy. Everything's less busy. And you work, 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 work. So you can kind of get to the world of less busy. If you retire early, this is something that you have to expect coming up. Your friends didn't retire early. And they're still going to work. And they're like still in the rat race. I went to Breckenridge two years ago, and it was fantastic because it was me, it was two couples, and and kids, right? No golf, no golf, no golf. I did see a bear, though. And by bear, it means totally something different in San Francisco when you see a bear, and in Breckenridge when you see a bear. Oh, my, my, my. That's the type of bear I saw in San Francisco. It's more like, hey, how are you doing, Rob? Uh, like, whoa, you got a lot of hair on you, dude. Um, so, okay, 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 wait, wait. So, in retirement, things are a little bit different. And I think there's even retiring from a lifestyle. So, okay, so I was in Breckenridge with uh, another couple. And a woman came up to us and go, y'all are from San Francisco. Y'all look stressed. I'm like, Whoa. She's right. So growing up in Breckenridge or growing up in like, I'm not going to say Weedville, but she's probably more a little chillax than everyone else. So when you retire, you're, you're going to be relaxed, but your friends aren't. So you have to kind of almost expect that. It's going to be different than ever. I think you're going to be busier than ever in retirement. Uh, when you work 50 plus hours a week for most of your career, you have a family, you kind of get into that hectic world. And it's tough to change that hectic world. 
So you go from doing things that you had to do to doing things that you want to do, and you stay swamped. I like to paint. I like to draw. I like to sketch. Um, I don't have time for it right now. I look forward to the day that I do. So in retirement, hopefully, you can be in the best shape of your life. Because if you remove that stress of work nine to five, that may be a little surprise for you that I go to a gym every day and I'm stressed and I don't talk to people. Um, and my gym is actually kind of like a country club, kind of tennis club kind of thing. It's the Bay Club. Um, and there's plenty of them around and I'm not like going, oh, look at me, I'm hoity-toity. Um, most of the people at this club are older at the time of the day I go. And I feel kind of good about it because they're all ex-Stanford doctors and firefighters. So I can have a heart attack there and I'll probably be in good hands. Uh, if you know what I mean, the downside is is that uh, it's disgusting. Old people, old old nude people at gyms, disgusting. You darn tootin'. I'm going to sit naked on this leather couch and open my legs so wide that you can actually see. Like, no, I don't want no, I'm no. Seventy years old. I've been around since dirt was born. He's seventy eight years old. He's been around since dirt's been born. He's got scars like. One, two, three, and scars are funny things because like you could have a big pot belly and then they have to cut into you and like cut out your liver or something like that. And the scar that it leaves is like this weird pinching of, of, of fat left over. It's like, whoa. So needless to say, it is what it is, right? 800-516-1220. So in retirement, hopefully you'll be in the best shape of your life in large part because you have a lot of time. And you'll start doing things that are more cardio driven, like hiking and things along those lines. So, um, also maybe cancer will consume that extra fat on your body and take things away. Um, in retirement, it's gonna be fun because instead of wearing a suit and tie, which I love a nice suit, I love a nice tie, but in retirement, like you get to wear casual clothes, you get to wear yoga clothes and like get away with it. So again, you, you lose that uptightness. You kind of lose that, that, that stress of, I have to do this. And it's, it's more of like, eh, you can kind of wear your Felix. Was it Felix? Um, Oscar Madison shirts. <laughs> you can kind of get away with wearing those in retirement. <laughs> Hopefully in retirement, you can put all away everything petty in your life that you once got family fights in and you just be kind of chill because you're closer to death and it's time to just like love your family right Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.